0: Good morning, Grace Harvest. It is good to see you again uh, this morning, and uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed the baby dedication and it made you think uh, of your own lives and your dedication to your Lord and to your own children and your grandchildren. This morning, if you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for those who are visiting today that are here as part of a celebration for the baby dedication, uh, I would just let you know that uh, this is the second sermon I'm preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There will be three uh, total, um, and it's, it's, the title of the ser- sermon series is Christian Love, and this is part two of that Christian love, and uh, how the world loves. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in just a moment I'll read the, all of the verses in 13, but we will focus on verses four through seven this morning. And, you know, how the world loves and the way Christians love are worlds apart. And the the reason for that is we know that the kingdoms are apart. One belongs to the kingdom of darkness and the other is God's kingdom. You've heard me say in the pulpit before that there are two religions of the world. There is the religion of God and the religion of Satan. Christianity, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and Him alone, who have been saved by God's grace and not by works, belong to Christ. And we are worshipers of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If anybody believes anything other than that, whatever religion, how, my, how nice you may think they are, they are worshiping the devil himself. Those are hard words to hear sometimes, but we need to understand that there's a distinct difference between the way the world lives their lives and the way Christians should live, live their lives. And the problem is, if we Christians look like the world, that's an issue, and that's a problem. You know... Uh, all of us, at one time or another, have enjoyed love songs. Some of, Some of you young people are looking at your parents now and you think they're older than dirt and they never enjoyed a love song in their life. That is not true. Even this old man up here enjoys love songs. Matter of fact, uh, I found one uh, years ago and I, I was and I and every time I feel real romantic, and yes, your pastor still feels romantic, I will shoot Kathy a, a text. And, and have her play that song while I'm on the way home. And, and the song is called Perfect. And, um, and the reason that I like that song so much, I'll just read a few of the lyrics. It says, I found a love for me. Darling, you just drive right in and follow my lead. Well, I found a girl, beautiful and sweet. Oh, I never knew you were the someone waiting to me, for me. Because we were just kids when we fell in love. Well, Kathy and I are 66 years old apiece, the same, and, and we have been married for 45 years, and we met when we were 15. And I'm going to tell you, the love that developed in my life, even when I was married at 20, and uh, we got married, that love that I had for her was nothing but worldly, selfish love. Nothing but that. There was no genuine concern for her. It was what what I could get out of the relationship. And I'm not the only one. When you think about uh, examples of worldly love, my wife decided to share a love song with me. And she sent me uh, a song by Bruno Mars called The Grenade Song. (laughs) Gave you all I had and you tossed it in the trash. You tossed it in the trash, you did. To give me all your love is all I ever ask, because what you don't understand is I'd catch a grenade for you. <laughs> Throw my hand on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know I'd do anything for you. Now, anybody in my generation, this ain't a love song. <laughs> I thought it was parody. Uh, but no, it's not. In 1984, Foreigner released, uh, I want to know what love is. And this is the chorus for that song. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. You Notice the theme of all these. I, in 1966, when a man loves a woman, was sung by Percy Sledge. And the lyrics go something like this. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else he trade the world or or, or the good thing he's found. If she is bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong and turn his back on his best friend if he puts her down. And when a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime. Remember, babe, when I worked that summer job and you spent all my money? That's love. When a man loves a woman. But is this... Is this Christian love what I read to you this morning, what I described to you from these lyrics of these songs? Is this Christian love that's described in the Bible? And so I ask a question to each one of you this morning, how do you love? H- how do you love as a follower of Christ? If you're a follower of Christ here today, let, let me tell you what I'm teaching and preaching this morning from the pulpit But truth of God's word to you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, this makes no sense to you. This will make no sense to you. There will be some good principles here. But in order to comprehend this love, we need to understand what that love entailed. And the best example of that love was when God sent His Son to die for you and me. And if you don't know Him here today, you don't know true love. True love is the fact that while you were yet a sinner, God loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. And the punishment that you deserve for that sin is hell, is hell. I mean, You wonder why I get up here and preach every week and why while I'm so passionate about God's Word and, and God's love and, and God's correction in my life. It's because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a heaven and there's a hell. I believe that there's a judgment that will occur. And I believe that if I had not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would spend eternity in hell gnashing my teeth and wailing because I would have heard the gospel and rejected it. And so, dear one, today I, I pray that that if you do not know Christ as Savior, that this very hour the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, that you would call upon His name to be saved and you would repent from that sin. And for us Christians, let me tell you what, I preach this to myself Last Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as I prepared this sermon and I preached it to myself this morning when I did it at the 8 o'clock hour. I pray that God uses this to encourage you and to correct you this morning. And so I want to ask you, how, how do you love? Most people don't realize that there are really only two ways to love with either a worldly love or with the love of God. The easy way to distinguish between the two is that the worldly way is always about self. Worldly love is always about self, whereas the love of God is always driven by a deep commitment for others, not yourself. That's how you can tell if you're loving the same way God did. Is your love driven? Do you love somebody because what they can do for you is that your major concern? Do you love something because that person, because of what you get out of it? And so this morning as we stand and we honor the reading of God's Word this morning, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I want you to think about that as you hear these words proclaimed this morning. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but not, do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I, have, I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not puffed up. It does not act accordingly. Um, excuse me. Unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is it not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. But now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, Your people have come. We have gathered in this place today, and we have dedicated babies and children to You, Lord. We have lifted up the parents And coveted with this body of believers to help the parents in every way we can. And this morning, Father, as now we have sung praises to your name, your people have gathered to hear the proclamation of your word. I pray as a mere man stands before your people today, Lord, that hearts are convicted, that Father, that where encouragement needs to take place in your children's lives, I pray that they are encouraged this morning. And Father, where correction needs to take place, I feel, I pray that the... Your Word, the two-edged sword, would pierce us today, Father. And I pray, God, that through all of it, Your Son would receive the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a seat. And so this morning, as as we focus on verses 4 through 7... I have already preached on verses 1 through 3. You could go back and look under it. You look under our media, under sermons, and you will see last week's sermon there if you if you missed it and you so would would desire to go back and to catch up. But this morning, as we we look at this passage by Paul, these three verses, three or four verses, we can divide what Paul describes as Christian love in three parts. The first is what love is, and then we will look at what love is not, And then we will see what love does. And all of this is referring to Christ-like love. So what love is? Look at verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient and love is kind. The Greeks understood that love has different meanings in different contexts. They, they, They understood this completely. We don't use language that would describe that. For example, I could say that I love a hot dog. And I love my Saint Bernards, and I love my wife, and I love God. I use the same word to describe all those. And my love for God is not the same as my love for my wife. I love God more than I love my wife. And then I better love my dogs less than I love my wife. Of course I do. There's nothing that no person that means more to me in this world than my wife, Kathy. It's it's God and then my wife. And then I love my dogs, but I, don't love, I love them more than I love food. But you see, we use one word and we're supposed to figure out what that means. And yet the Greeks didn't have that problem. As I've shared before, they, they use different words to capture some of these different meanings. They use the word phylos to speak about friendship, love, and affection. When, when, when I say I love you, you know as, as a member of this church, I love you as your shepherd and a brother and sister in Christ. You know that's what I mean because you, you have that relationship with me. And, you know, that's kind of strange to the world. Sometimes I'll say I love you to a man and they're not used to me and they look at me like, what did you just say to me? Well, you're a brother in Christ. I love you. Oh, okay. And then I hug them and they really freak out. But we think of that and, and, and we understand that kind of love, that mutual love. We love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, and the Greeks also used the word for eros, for love, to describe romantic love with with all its passions and desires that a husband has for a wife and a wife has for her husband. And they had another word for love which they hardly used at all. The Greeks did not use this word. We we come to know agape. Anybody who's been in the faith. A long time, you know, you've heard that word before, agape love. It describes the love of God that he has for us and that we should have for one another. But they didn't use that word a whole lot. You see, the Greeks, when they translated the Old Testament, they used the word described for love and they used the word agape because secular Greeks didn't love that way. Heck, secular people today don't love that way. And the shame of it is some Christians don't love that way. And so the New Testament writers picked up on this word and used it extensively to describe God's self-sacrificing love for man displayed in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that is our example. Christ, who, who knew no sin, who left the throne of glory, who left His Father's side, became fully man and fully God. That is the Premier example of sacrificial love, of love that was was done for the benefit of others and not for ourselves. Because it took Christ's perfect life to satisfy God's wrath, His anger against my sin. I was born of a woman, and therefore I was born into sin, and it didn't take me long to sin. I I, I can remember one time I uh, I was only like six years old or five years old. We were living in Germany. And uh, we were living in Heidelberg and and in Germany back in the, this was like 1961, 62, and uh, they had radiators in the apartments I lived in. And I remember my mom, I stole some gum out of her purse, dentine, she always loved dentine, and I stole a stick of gum, I stole it, I knew I wasn't supposed to, I'm five years old, I'm a little thief. And I go in there, and I steal the gum, and I'm sitting there chewing it. And my mom looks at her pack, and she knew it hadn't been opened yet. We were getting ready to go see a movie, and it hadn't been opened yet. And she said, did you take my gum? And guess what I said? Oh, yes, I did, Mom. I'm so sorry. No, I said, not me. I wouldn't do that. And she kept pointing her finger at me and putting me in the... And I kept going backwards and backwards, and I tripped. I fell and cracked my head open on the radiator. That'll teach Mom to accuse me. Took me to the emergency room, got stitched up and everything. And I I remember my mom feeling a little bit guilty. But all I remember was my dad telling me, if you hadn't lied, that wouldn't have happened. But I was five years old. I was a liar. You people in here think your kids are precious. They are precious, but they're all liars. And and they will lie and they will deceive you because it's in their best interest to lie sometimes. That's what they think. And as Christians, we should abhor the, the lying tongue. And we should just, and we should, we should be different than the world. And so when Christ died for me as a, as that lying young boy who turned into a lying young man and a, and a man who thought he was doing all the right things in life but didn't know Christ as Savior, oh I knew who he was. And believe me, if I hadn't come to Christ, I would be one of those people that Jesus said the worst punishment is for. Do you realize that God says that the worst punishment for is the one who hears the gospel and has disdain for it, or he's lukewarm or she's lukewarm to it? What was the sin of of Bethsaida and and Chorazan and Capernaum when Jesus said, If woe be to you, you three cities... If if what had been preached to you had been preached to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and turned from their sin. It will be worse for you on the day of judgment than them. Whoa! Did you hear what I just said? We know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was. And yet their greater sin is the person who hears the gospel and says it's not for me. And Jesus, when He came and He suffered and He died on that cross and He paid the wrath that I deserve to pay against God, When, when He satisfied God's wrath and He was punished for my sin, and what He says to you and I now, very simply is, do you believe in Me? Do you believe that the Father sent Me? Do you believe that I took your place on that cross? Do you believe in Me as Lord and Savior of your life? Apart from anything else. And then when you confess that to the Lord and said, Oh God, I am unworthy. I am an unworthy sinner. But God, thank you for your mercy and grace. I believe. You know what? You were saved. You were born again. You never have to worry about the final judgment. But now you should live a life that reflects that. And one of those ways that we live that life and reflect it is by demonstrating our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the ungodly. So when it comes to this Christian love, we must understand that Christian love is patient. And notice that Paul tells us what love is by what it does. It is demonstrated and it's observable. It's demonstrated and it's observable. You can tell me all day you love me, but if I never see you doing anything that says you love me, I don't know you love me. And yet... Paul says, love is patient. When we see patient in the New Testament, it almost always relates to being patient with people, not our circumstances. How many times have you thought, well, Lord, give me patience? And usually you're asking for patience for what? For the circumstance you're in. But the Bible says that we're showing patience, and the patience we're showing is with other people. Because truth be known, that's a whole lot harder sometimes, isn't it? To be patient with other people, especially people you don't like. People that that irritate you, that that aggravate you. And yet God tells us that we are to be patient. It is love which understands the frailties of human nature and refuses to take offense when other people offend you. It's being patient with them. It is is a love which sees the potential in people and does not demand instant maturity growth in somebody. You're going, "They're, they're a Christian pastor, why are they acting this way? Well, are you showing them grace? Are you being patient with them as they learn? Are they repeating the same mistakes? Or are you just aggravated because they're not growing quick enough for you? It's, it's a love which continues to desire the best for others. Even when it is, when you are slandered and abused by that person, do you still want the best for them? Think about it. Isn't God incredibly patient with us? I know He is with me. I don't know about the rest of you, but I know He is with me. Psalms 103, verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Now here's the key to this. So Yahweh has compassion on those who fear Him. Do you have a healthy fear of God? Are you one of those silly people that says, When somebody asks you, "Oh, God, he's he's a friend of mine. He's my co-pilot. He's this and that." God is God, and God created heavens and the earth. And God spoke into existence and told how high the mountains to be and where the oceans to stop. He created life on this planet and then He gave the dominion of this world to man and He told man to multiply, be fruitful and multiply. He is our God. He is the one that we should fear because He can cast... Into the lake of fire. He is the one who forgives. He is our gracious Heavenly Father. And if we have that right, respectful fear, that is healthy. And it is necessary for Christians to live a holy and pleasing life. If you don't fear God this morning, I would ask that you stop and evaluate your walk with Him. He is God, He is, he is, he is not our buddy. He is God. He is he is the one that we owe everything to. And the problem with too many of us Christians is we think God owes us. Aren't you lucky that I'm yours, God? That you I know he saved me because I was something special. Okay, maybe not. The fact of the matter is he saves us to show his glory. And then when I am weak, He is strong. Second uh, Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Our God Himself shows patience towards us. There are people in this church who have come to saving faith in their 70s. God showed His patience with them. Now, dear one, you don't know, and I, I would hate for you to sit here today and in somehow in your mind think, you know, I hear, this, I hear the pastor preach every week about this. He's always talking about the gospel. I don't need that right now. Maybe one day. Maybe when I get older. Maybe when I get married. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm going to tell you what, folks. Nobody knows the hour or the day that God calls you home. You don't know. We do not know. I I, I was telling Kathy today... I, Back in the day, old folks like me, you'll remember this. You grab the paper, the obituary in the morning, you read, make sure you're still alive, right? That's what my dad used to do. I used to think that was silly. I do it now, but I look online, right? And when you look online, this week I saw a bunch of people dead in their 50s. Uh, Maria, is that her name, Maria Presley? She died in her 50s. I was reading one of a uh, couple of the football players that I admired when I was younger in their late 50s, early 60s. These people are just dropped dead and they're younger than me. But somehow in the back of my mind, I think, oh, I'm different. God needs me. He ain't going to call me home yet. But then the reality of it is I know that God could take me this very moment while I'm preaching. And if you live your life knowing that your time is short, guess what? You will live a life that is full of contentment. You will live a life that is wholly pleasing to God because you're not focused on what might be. You're focused on changing the way you are today. And you're living lives for Him. And, and 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 God is patient with us. And He's telling us we need to be patient with others. Paul wrote to Timothy, It is a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me as the foremost Christ Jesus might demonstrate... Demonstrate what? All His patience as an example for those who are going to believe upon Him for eternal life. Why did He do it? It's an example. Christ is giving us, God is giving us the example of His patience. And we belong to Him. We're His children. And so we should be like our Father. And we should have patience as well. And He commands us to be patient. It's not an option. It's not an option. You're commanded to be patient. Love is patient. If you're a Christian, you're commanded to love this way. You don't have the option. Do you do that? Do you do that husband with your wife? Wife, are you patient with your husband? Moms and dads, are you patient with your children? I'm not talking about when they're disrespectful or disobeying you. I'm talking about just everyday life. Are you patient with them? It reminds me of a story with the twins when, when they were I have identical boys, and they were like five years old, and one of the twins comes in. I'm watching a football game. You didn't bother me when I was watching football. And he came in there, and he said, Daddy, 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 can I do this? And I said, No, you can't. He left. He came back, Daddy, Daddy, can I do this? I said, No, you can't. And he left. Next thing, I said, You come back in here. I'm going to whip you, boy. And he came back in. He asked me the same question. I smacked him, and he started crying. He said, Why would you do that? I said, Because I told you. He says That was my brother. I didn't have much patience. All I was, I'm so sorry. Yeah, right. He believed that. (laughs) God is love. And therefore, God is patient with us. And He commands us to be patient. I read a story of a man who had developed this quality to a far greater extent than I ever could. And during the late 1500s, the man's name was Thomas Cooper. And he edited a dictionary with the addition of 33,000 words and made many other improvements. He had already been collecting materials for eight years. And for you young people here, you got to understand, there are no computers. He doesn't have a typewriter. He's doing this all by hand as he's adding this. And he doesn't have an ink pen like you think of. And so he's spending all this time, and he spent eight years collecting this material and putting it together. When his wife, the story goes, was a rather difficult woman, went into his study one day while he was gone and burned all of his notes under the pretense of fearing that he would kill himself with study. Eight years of work, a pile of ashes, and Dr. Cooper came home and saw the destruction and asked who had done it. And his wife told him boldly that she had done it. The patient man heaved a sigh and said, Oh, Diana, Diana, thou hast given a world of trouble. Then he quietly sat down to another eight years of hard labor to replace the notes which he had, she had destroyed. I don't have that patience. The next time you think you're a patient person, think of that story. But with that said, we as Christians should strive to be patient children of God. And then the next thing, what love is, is it is kind. Love is kind. Kindness is, is patience in action. The Greek word comes from the word meaning useful. When you think of kindness in the Greek, they, it's useful. A kind person is inclined to be helpful. They seek out needs and look for opportunities to meet those needs without repayment. That, you don't, that They're not looking to get rewarded for what they do. They're not, they don't come and help you out of, out of the ditch or change, help you change a flat tire or, or, or bring you a meal because they want something in return. They're doing it out of kindness trying to be useful to you. You see, Christians, we should be tender and forgiving when wronged. We should be kind. And and the word was also used to describe mellow wine and suggest a person who is gentle, so useful and gentle. And, and that person has the ability, we as Christians have the ability to soothe hurt feelings, not pour salt into the wound. We should be the ones that ease the pain, not increase the pain. We should be able to calm an upset person by our kindness and our patience. The the kind person shows kindness in response to harsh treatment. When when a person treats us harshly, what is our response? Is it kindness? Folks, I wish it was. I wish every time that somebody treated me harshly, I do much better than I used to, but I still have to work on that in my own life. Jesus said this, in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6 verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that of you? So, so what if you're good to everybody else who's good? For even sinners do the same thing, but love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Let me say that again. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men like Mark. Put your name in there. Because he has been kind to each one of us. And so he is our example. It's just not me standing here, not a mere man just saying what I think God wants me to say. I'm telling you what God proclaims to us through his written word. The, time, the kindness of God leads us, ourselves, to repentance. Kindness can motivate others towards positive change as well. When somebody's going through a difficult time, and, and have you ever met somebody that's, that's really going through a horrible time and they act terribly because they don't know how else to act? And then you respond in kindness. Guess what you do? You, you take all the wind out of their sails. You love them and you're kind to them and you're patient Let's talk about what love is not, verse 4. It is not jealous, it does not brag, is not puffed up, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own or is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. There's a whole lot of knots in there, isn't it? Christian love is not jealous. The word means eagerly desire and it is used both positively and negatively in the Bible. God is jealous of us. That's positive. When we're jealous of other people, it's not positive. Jealousy is the neg- in the negative sense is related to greed and selfishness. When we are jealous, it's usually we are being selfish. The jealous person wants what others have and he wants things for himself or he wants people to do what they he wants them or she wants them to do. In the family, a jealous husband refuses to trust his wife. He doesn't want to recognize her abilities and her contributions. He is jealous of the time she spends with the children or with friends. He wants her all for himself. You know why I went on this train? I'll tell you exactly when I went on this train of thought, as I was preparing this sermon, because that was your pastor. Pastor. When I was a police officer and and we were going to Swift Creek Baptist Church, and I would work uh, out of my twenty nine year career, twenty seven years of that, I would work, you know, twenty to thirty hours of overtime every week. You had to. you, just, you know we made the decision that Kathy was going to stay home and and raise our five children. And uh, policemen didn't make a whole lot of money then. I don't think they still make a whole lot of money now, but in order to to, to provide for our family, that's what I did. But before you think I'm all wonderful, I was this, also this very selfish man. And so when, when I would expect, when I was home, Kathy better be home. When I was gone and I worked a 16-hour shift, she, 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 she better be home. Matter of fact, it got so bad that she wanted to join the worship team at, at Swift Creek. And I said, no, you're not going to do that because you're not going to be a gone a night when I'm sitting home with these kids. I love my kids, Crystal. Don't think I did. <laughs> but I wanted my wife next to me. I, I, she had to be there for me and she never rebelled. When she would go out, she would want to go out with her sister and, and go out day shopping on Saturday. And if, she, if, she, if I asked her how long she was going to be and if she was longer than... If she was 15 minutes late, boy, she would hear about it. I was a selfish man. I was a jealous Man, because it was all about me. Thankfully, God changed your pastor. Thankfully, but 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 the results are. And and Kathy has forgiven me. The Lord has forgiven me. But it's still it's it's very fresh in my mind of how I hurt my wife, hindered her spiritual growth because of my selfishness. Can you imagine a husband telling his wife, "I don't want you to worship"? Oh, I love God, but I don't love him enough to take you away from me. What a shame that, that, that they would do that, and, and and you know it has affected Kathy even to this day. She'll go out, and and she I don't care she she can stay out overnight if she wants to. I don't care. I love her. I'll make sure she she's safe. But she'll come home sometimes. and say, honey, I'm I'm sorry it was late. You know what that sends to me? It says that she remembers her husband as the selfish jealous man young husbands don't be like Pastor Mark was when he was young love your wife treat her with patience and kindness do not be jealous of her so many things are made up in your head and you imagine so many things I'm not saying things don't happen I'm not saying that but always give your wife give your husband the benefit of the doubt Jealousy destroys love. Selfless love does not brag and is not puffed up. It is not arrogant. You see, those are ugly twins, bragging and being arrogant. They both stem from selfishness and, and are the companion of jealousy. This is what John Mark MacArthur has to say about this. I love this. He puts it this way. Quote, jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Bragging is trying to make others jealous of what we have. And jealousy puts others down. Bragging builds us up. Unquote. You see, bragging is the outward manifestation of our pride. That's what bragging is. Have you ever caught yourself waiting for somebody to finish a story so you can beat them in the story? Somebody's telling you a story. Hey, guys, you're out here, and the guy tells you about we went hunting, and he got this buck, and you're sitting there in the back of your mind. Well, wait, wait, wait. Here's my story. Right? we're always wanting to one up sometimes and as christians we need to really control that desire to brag to brag the braggart tries to impress others of their great accomplishments in order to make themselves look good and and it even brings the attitude of all, after all i've done for you you're going to treat me this way the humble loving person is aware that everything they have is undeserved when you realize that everything we have is undeserved and it's a gift from God, how much more joy do I have in my life and than you can have in your life? My salvation was the greatest gift God could ever give to me. If He gave me nothing else, He gave me my salvation. Everything else is a cherry on top. Everything else. The very breath I breathe today, if the Lord calls me home today, I have lived a life that has been fruitful for Him. And my desire is to serve my God and my King and my Lord to the day I go home. My desire is to be burned up for His glory. I wasted too many days of my life living for Mark Wells. And God has convicted me over the years of, of, of my lack of faith and trust in Him and Him alone. Oh, I've trusted Him for my salvation. I'm talking about my sanctification. You were justified when God saved you. But let me ask you a question, Christian. What does your sanctification look like? Are you the same person you were when you got saved? God saved you? You received that salvation? What does your walk look like? What does your Christian life look like? It, it, does it look like you're at least maturing in your faith? Or, or am I reading something new to you today and your the first thought is, well, yeah, I'm not very patient. and I'm not very kind and... Oh, he may be saying all that stuff, but I'm I, I'm 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 not going to do that. I'm not going to turn the other cheek. You see, Christian, we're commanded to do these things. That we're commanded to produce this fruit. You see, love is not unbecoming. Some translations use the word rude. Love is not rude. Love has good manners. It's polite. If somebody comes into my home, I don't sit down and say, Yo, yo come on in. I don't do that. I get up. If a lady comes to the table, I stand up if they walk into the room. That's the way my mama raised me. Mama, I, I said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. My kids hated it when we tried to put it in their life. They're like every other kid. The only difference was between being raised in my family and being raised in, in uh, my mother's house was that if I didn't say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and, and I got a smack in the back of the head or across the face. Yeah, they used to do that, guys. And I'm not worse for wear for it. And guess what I do to this very day? Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. If you're an adult, I say it to you all the time. I, will, I don't care if you're 18 years old or you're 80 years old. I will say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Because it's instilled in me. Now, I'm not saying that you have to teach your kids to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. But you better teach your kids how to be polite. Yes, please. Thank you. How many of you love it when somebody walks up to you and goes, and some kid looks at you or an adult says to you, yeah, whatever. Excuse me? Yeah, okay. Appreciate it. Whatever. Thank you, man. At least they say thank you. But I'm telling you what, it... it, 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 it was amazing to me as a police officer how shocked people were. And I'm not talking I'm talking about in the eighties and the nineties and two thousands when I was a policeman and I'd stop up and excuse me, sir, may I see you your driver's license and registration card? It was always sir. And I can never I'll never forget one time that the twins were playing lacrosse at James River High School and they grew up saying yes, ma'am and no, sir. And I had to have a conversation with the coach. He was from up north. And when my sons came home, they said, Dad, we got in trouble today. I said, what would you get in trouble for? We don't understand, Dad. I said, what do you mean you don't understand? He, when we said yes, sir, to him, he said a few cuss words at us and told us we were disrespected him. I said, okay, you still say yes, sir. And I went and had a conversation with the coach, very polite conversation. I said, sir, I, I don't know how you were raised but my children are not being disrespectful when they say yes, sir, and no, sir, and they will continue to say yes, sir, and no, sir, to you. Uh, we're not going to have a problem, are we, sir? He said, No, 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 no. He says, Just where I grew up, if you said that, somebody was being smart, Alec. And it's amazing to me how little simple things like manners have gone on the wayside. Respect. Love is not rude, Christian. Christian love should never be seen as rude. And if you think you don't have a problem with that, think about the last time somebody cut you off in traffic. Oh yeah. Well, I'm really good when people like talk to him face to face. I see my church, preacher. I'm really nice to him. Let somebody cut off in track traffic. I I. You know what the horrible thing is? When I'm talking to my daughter on the phone and she's driving, I hear me talking. It ain't good. Sorry, Crystal. Don't be looking so strange. But we're all guilty of it, aren't we? It's, it's amazing to me how, how we so quickly become rude and we need to be careful of that. Christian love does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It doesn't demand our rights. Alan Redpath said this, the secret of every discord, I love this, the secret of every discord, every disagreement in Christian homes, communities, and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. Just think in your own home, husbands and wives, mommies and daddies, how much peace would be a, in your home if you weren't selfish, if you weren't rude to one another. It's, it being selfish is, 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 is what causes so many disagreements. Selfishness is the root of the problem of the human race. It it's, is the antithesis of love. See, love is self-sacrificing. It is not selfish. Christ so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loved us and He gave to us. God did not send His Son to be served, but to serve. And are we greater than the Master? Are you greater than the Teacher? Of course not. And so if God tells us to act and He shows us, He didn't just tell us, He showed us how He acted in an unselfish way. Christian, why do we find it so hard not to do that? Why do we find it so easy to be selfish? I can tell you why, because the flesh is always warring against your spirit. It's a constant battle that we have to be on guard for. Elizabeth Elliot was once speaking on this subject to an audience that included some young children who were sitting right in front of her. And as she spoke, she wondered how she could make this plain to them. How could she how could they how could she get across about Christian love not being selfish. And as she spoke, she wondered about this and how she could apply it. And later she got a letter from one of those children, a six-year-old boy who wrote her. And this is what he said. He said, I am I am learning to lay down my life for my little sister. She has, she has to take a nap in the afternoon and, and I don't have to take a nap. But she can't go to sleep unless I come and lay down beside her. So I lay down with my little sister. That boy is learning unselfish love. You see, husbands, wives, children, if we would apply this verse as that little boy did, our homes would be free of conflict and it would bring honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't insist on His rights? He could have stayed in heaven. He, and if He had done so, we would not be saved. Christian love is not provoked. It's not provoked. The Greek word means to sharpen, to stimulate, to rouse, to anger. Love does not have a hair-trigger temper. It is it, it, it's not quick. To be angry, it's not quick to run off at the mouth. Some people make everyone around them walk on eggshells. I pray that you're not that type of person. Have you ever been at work or around friends or acquaintances or school at school with fellow kids your age, and somebody walks in and everybody gets real quiet? Why? Because they don't like. They're afraid of what is going to happen if they offend the person that just walked in the room. Christian, that should never be named amongst us that we have a quick temper. Those kind of people are easily offended. One little thing that doesn't go their way will set them off and and then then everybody has to suffer. I, I can tell you this, when I get angry, I am not loving. When I get angry, I'm not loving. You know, we've talked about righteous anger and if we're honest with ourselves, that comes far and few between when the other times than when we're angry. And usually, even if it's righteous anger, I wind up sinning after that anyway because I take it too far. And so it's 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 always be it's always in the front of my mind: Am I controlling this anger? Am I speaking harshly? If Kathy asks me something, do I do I respond sarcastically or snarky? Or or is it always with a desire to put her first, to her wants, her needs, her desires first above my own? Christian love does not take into account wrong suffered. The word account here obviously we're looking at it's an accounting word. We don't add things up. I don't take out my little black book or take out my phone or my iPad and start, okay, well this is what so and so did to me on January the 15th, 2023. And I'll index it. So I got great references and quick references to it. So I all I got to put that person's name in and it pop up all the things they've done to me. A Christian should never ever ever keep a record of wrong. Folks, when you forgive, it should, you should forgive. I'm not saying that you completely forget. Even God doesn't let us forget our sins. Just like my sin against my God and my wife, when it came to being selfish and jealous, it's there to remind us of what that sin can cause. And we've been forgiving, and we don't wallow in it, and we move past it, and we learn from it. But we, as Christians, I, I we should have this attitude, and I thank God for this because He has answered this prayer in my life. I can tell you this is one thing I do well, is not keep a record of wrong. And and I, I thank God for that. Because I used to be that guy. My wife used to say, you don't forget anything when it comes to mistakes I made. What a great way to be remembered. And Christian, we need to be very careful that love does not keep that ra- record of wrong. It doesn't try to gain the upper hand by reminding the other person of past wrong. Love gives. There's no place for a history fight in a marriage or with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember when you did this to me? Remember what you did to me? Christian love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love never takes satisfaction from sin, whether our own sin or that of others. I can remember when I when I used to follow sports pre-COVID, And uh, many know that story. It's God's kind of, uh, he used used the the knife, the spiritual knife to cut all this fat out of my life and this time I was wasting. And one of the things I used to listen to was sports radio. And and I I would listen to it and and you would believe the the men that would talk on there and and they would talk about going to strip clubs, one of the shows based out of New York, and they would talk about a a strip club there. Or they would talk about porn that they watched and, and bragging about it. And laughing about it, Christian has no place in our life. You you will sin. All of us will sin, but you know what sin does in a Christian life? It brings shame. We don't brag about it. You, one way you can tell you belong to Christ is how sin makes you feel. How, how how oh at the moment it brings you may bring you pleasure. At the moment it may it may make you feel good, but. But when you repent of that sin and you acknowledge you've sinned before holy God and the consequences of that sin come in, you are remorseful. You never, this is what a Christian never does, never tries to justify his sin either. A Christian does not try to justify his sin. Well, you just don't understand, Pastor. I need this or I, I have to do this. No, you don't. If it's sin, you don't. God tells us not to. And so we don't rejoice in the unrighteousness of ourselves or the unrighteousness of others. We don't sit around there and and men, you don't sit around at work and wait for somebody to tell you what they did this weekend. You you don't you don't you don't when somebody starts telling you a dirty joke, you don't laugh and try to make that person feel comfortable. If you have to, you get up and leave. You see because you do not rejoice in unrighteousness. See that's application to this verse to rejoice when 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 somebody goes out and 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 you go with buddies and and they're drinking and they start acting stupid because they've drank too much and you're with them and you're not drunk, but you're with them and you start laughing at them, what have you just done? You've encouraged their unrighteousness. You've rejoiced in the unrighteousness and the sin of another. And to rejoice in unrighteousness is to justify it. When you rejoice in unrighteousness, re- you justify it. It make it, it, it is making wrong appear to be right. And Isaiah has a thing to say about that. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah warns, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. You know, in the in the so-called progressive church today, it is not a Christian church. I don't even want to use that name. In the progressive church today. Where they believe in this Jesus that's all about love and forgiveness and would never send anybody to hell. That is what they believe. That God, a loving God, would never send anybody to hell. It doesn't matter what you believe, you can go there. I don't know how they get to that point, but they do. I don't even know why they even mention Jesus, but they do. And then you'll have signs on their door, all are welcome. And, and believe me, we all are welcome here. They have LGBTQ+ flags out front and welcoming homosexuals and they uh, into their church which they should but the problem is they tell the people that god loves them just the way they are they don't have to change i would no more tell a homosexual that I would tell them that God does love you, but He loves you enough that He sent His Son to die for your sin. Just as I would if you were a heterosexual male or woman came in this church and you're living together, I would set you aside and I'd say, God loves you. God wants to save you. And guess what? That's sin. And sin separates us from a holy God. And if you want that relationship with God, you cannot live together as man and wife. You cannot... You cannot be engaged in the intimacy before you are married. That is a sin against the Holy God. You cannot claim to be a Christian and live in sin without any remorse or regret at all. But see, they don't hear that. What they hear is God loves you and you can stay just the way you are. You know how many countless millions of people will be sent to hell because some preacher stood up and said, It's okay. It's, that's turning God's truth upside down. What love does? Quickly, it rejoices with truth. Love gets excited when it hears of spiritual victories. Love encourages by expressing joy over little evidence, over the little evidence of growth. I don't know how many times when I when I've watched uh, a mom. Or dad talk about their children coming to faith in Christ and watching them grow, or, or 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 when when I when I hear somebody that's discipling somebody and and they come and they share the, the how that person is growing in Christ. Those the world doesn't care about things like that, but we as Christians we rejoice in the truth and see Christian love bears all things. It, it means to protect by covering. You, we, we have this image of a, of a mother who, who protects their children, would never let anything happen to her child. Love doesn't broadcast the problems of others. You see, when you love somebody and somebody comes and tells you something, you don't run and go tell everybody else in the church that person's problems. That's not loving them. That's not bearing things with them. They come to you in confidence because their world may be turned upside down and you're going, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then you run over and you tell somebody about their problems. Christian love bears that with that person. You don't joke about it. You don't run and tell others. You're not sarcastic. You don't put that person down. Love defends the character of that person. And as much as possible within the limits of truth yes, the person may have failed, and yes, the may person may have sinned, but do you have to pile on that person? Do you have to act like there's no forgiveness, like God can't forgive them? Woe be to us when we start having that attitude. You see, love protects. Love, Christian love believes all things. Love is not suspicious or cynical. It, it believes the best outcome of the one who, who has done the wrong. That the, the wrong will be confessed and forgiven and love that loved one restored to righteousness. Love also believes all things and, 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 and believes all things in another way. If there's doubt about a person's guilt, if you really don't know if this person's guilty or you don't understand the motivation about it, love will always opt for the most favorable possibility. If you find yourself always jumping to the negative, you don't love that person. If you're always sitting there thinking when that, when you when somebody comes to you or you find out about something and the first thought was well yeah I figured that's the way he acts, or do you have a have a notion that you're going to think favorably of that person, and that even if that person has failed, forgive that person and love that person, if he turns out to be guilty, love will give credit for the best motive. It, you, it, you're never God's not going to punish you because you give a person a little bit of. Grace, love, trust, love has confidence and love believes. And this is a principle that your pastor lives by. I don't care whether you send me a text message that's ugly or an email that's ugly or leave a voicemail that's ugly. I always think the best and that's the truth. Because I found out that I sleep a whole lot better when I have that attitude. Because some of you have kept me awake over the years. But I've changed that attitude and ask God to change my heart. Lord, help me see the best. This person is hurting or they would not have responded this way. I have done something, Lord. I have done something. I can't see what I did, but I've done something. Give me the grace to respond to this person in love. And so the first attitude I would ask you to develop with this, with that notion is, is don't think the worst when somebody s- sends you an email or, or a text message. L- hear that person out. I have gotten so much trouble in my life thinking I know what somebody means when they said something in an email. And vice versa. I remember talking to somebody I I, I love dearly, they kept walking in my office and shut the door behind me and wanted to know what the heck I was doing. And I said, whoa, let's read this email again and let me put my tone in it. And the person went, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped to the wrong conclusion. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt because Christian Christian love hopes and Christians Christian love endures all things. Remember that. And so as we have seen today, Christian love cannot be described by secular love songs. And Christian love cannot be achieved unless you are a follower of Christ because everything I have shared with you today goes against a me-centered lifestyle. You have to surrender to God. Those without the Holy Spirit and all of us who belong to Him have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us can never hope to love the way God intends for us to love. And I pray this morning, and and Brian, I appreciate your comments and your prayer before the sermon. Because we have a tendency when we hear a sermon like this the whole time to think, I hope my wife is listening. I hope my husband is listening. Oh, I wish somebody else was here. You know what? God had you here this morning. And God spoke to you this morning through the preaching of His words. Not because I'm something special. I'm just a mere man that God has said, You will proclaim my truth. But the Holy Spirit then dwelling you today. Let that Holy Spirit convict you where you fall short. Ask God to forgive you where you've fallen short. Ask God to teach you to love this way. Folks, meditate on this 1 Corinthians 13. Memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Let it be such a part of your life that people will know you as that Romans 12 and that 1 Corinthians 13. They will know you that, 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 that when you leave this world, the one thing they will say to you is, is this person, they, they exhibited the love of Christ. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just something they said. I watched it in their lives. Can they say that about you this morning? My prayer is that where we fall short, God would work in our lives. We would yield to the Holy Spirit. And we would strive to love the way Christ loved us. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. You know, today we have gathered and we have seen babies. And who doesn't love babies? And We've seen mommies and daddies come up here and, and dedicate. I met with all these parents. And, and one of the things we talked about is, is what does God expect from them? Well, God expects them to teach them what I just taught you today. God expects all of us to live this in front of our children, in front of our spouses, in front of our friends, in front of our co-workers. God does not give us a day off, Christian. He doesn't give us a vacation for living for Him. Our desire should be to love the way Christ loved. And and we don't have to guess what it is. We know that love is patient and love is kind and it's not jealous and it does not brag and it's not puffed up, puffed up and it does not act unbecomingly and it does not seek its own. it does not It's not provoked and it does not take into account the wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Christian, let that be your battle cry. Let that be desire in your life that this is you. Strive to love like that. Church, if we would love like this, the world would be beating down our doors to have what we have. In just a moment, I will stand before you, God's people. And I pray that during this time of invitation, if God has moved in your life and you want me to pray with you or want one of the elders to pray with you after service, please hang around, let me know. God has moved you in a way that I can never imagine and you need to talk today. I'm here. My desire is not to manipulate anybody, but I, I, I I will spend my life encouraging you and begging you to come to Christ if you do not know Him as Lord and Savior this day. All what I said was foolishness to Do you want to live this life like like the world lives it, where it's empty? Love is fleeting and it's and it's superficial and it's jealous? Or do you want to have this love that Scripture talks about? You can only have that through Christ. If you cry out to him this very hour, this very moment, God will save you. If that's your plea this morning. Again, I'm not trying to manipulate you, but if that's your plea, you come grab this preacher by the hand and Tell me that you have surrendered to Christ, that you have asked God to forgive you of your sins. You acknowledge Him, His Son, as your Lord and Savior. This morning we had two, we had a family and a, and a young lady join this church. What a blessing that was. I pray that if God has called you to be a member here at Grace Harvest and He's made that clear to you, that that you don't tarry. You come. You join as well. However God's working in your life today, please do not leave this place without getting it right with Him. Father, thank You for the proclamation of Your Word today. Thank You for these mommies and daddies and children that were up here, Father. Thank You for the friends and visitors and family that came to witness that. I pray, Father, that these families are blessed and encouraged by what happened here this day. But more importantly, Father, I pray that your will would be done in our lives. That we would take seriously the command to love. And Father, change our hearts. Make us more like Christ. I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You come as the Lord leads us. Pastor Cal leads us in song. Let's all stand and sing.